Uh, welcome to another episode. It's been way too long, but we got Brandon here. Good part of the NBA season. So uh, just give us, let's just start, just keep it open-ended. What's been like one of your favorite storylines so far now that we're uh, like a couple weeks away from the start of the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, uh, first, happy to be back. It's been way too long, man. Um, yeah, this NBA season has honestly been one of the best seasons to watch so far from a competitive standpoint. I think just like the open overall storyline like every single regular season game matters for everybody who's not in the Wimbledon like tank race is, is pretty cool to see you know like one player getting injured can team back two weeks you know one loss can literally move you in the standings by two or three places I don't think we've really seen that um you know kind of um uh, you know storyline going in the past you know at least handful of seasons to even maybe back to 10 seasons ago um where you look you know when you know, third seed and um, 10th seed are only separated by, you know, five, seven games. Um, you know, everything is, is fully in play. And if the second seed were to tumble down the standings, you know, like the Memphis Grizzlies potentially, they could potentially end up outside of the playoff race um, at this point in the season, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, it really does seem like just the most parody we can remember, at least in a while. Um, like I would not be surprised if we saw a bunch of first round uh, upsets this year, just because even if you look at like the teams at the top, um, I, I think what, like the Bucks would probably be the favorite right now, but even them, like they're not that same team that, that won a championship a couple years ago, like Middleton still coming off the bench for them. And he was their second best player maybe that season. So there's just, yeah, question marks all over the place, which just makes for, uh, I think this playoffs is going to be insane. Like even, even the playing game should be exciting. Um, especially in the West where you have, like right now, the play-in uh, game, two of the four teams would be the Mavericks and the Clippers, which that'll probably change. But also, who knows? Like the West is kind of that loaded. Um, and I guess the Bulls are still technically alive. Do you even want to see you guys make the play-in game at this point, though? We have greater chances to get the number one pick than to make the playoffs at this point. The odds you know, technically are, are in the favor of us landing number one pick. So at this point, you know, I, I think we just go ahead and – uh you know, slide down the standings a few more places. You know, I think we are uh, two games ahead of the, the Magic. We can we can pass them up. Um, so, yeah, at this point, I'm like, how can we keep our draft pick? You know, we're clearly not going to compete. We get bounced in the play-in easily. So, um, yeah, it's sad, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, we'll, we'll look forward to next season. <laughs> yeah, and that's why it should be – you're looking forward to the playoffs too because you'll forget about the Bulls quickly when you watch it, you know – crazy seven game series in the first round uh yeah this year i'm like actually really really excited for the play-in tournament now uh, you because know, i feel like this is what adam silver had dreamed of when this was designed you know a, a kind of a feel almost like a college tournament right where you'd win or go home you literally have no no clue what's going to happen so now you know clinching the first through 60 is more important than ever um because all it takes is you know literally one off game or one on game um, but these teams and, you know, seven through 10, shoot, we may as well extend it on to, you know, seven through 12, to be fair. I mean, in the West, you could say seven through 13, like all these teams could easily be on one, one night and win, you know, Lakers, they're fully healthy. They can beat any of those teams, seven through 10 thunder. You never know with SGA and that young group over there. Dame is Dame. You never know what he's going to do. So all of these teams, you know, have a puncher's chance at, you know, making it out of the play and, um, and, you know, not even to mention, you know, like you said, the Mavs, Clippers, you know, who knows if they're still there or not, but they're not there. That means T-Wolves or Warriors or somebody has to be there. So um, no matter how you look at it, you know, you're going to be in for an interesting play and tournament around. Yeah. Yeah. I do think maybe we do have to give Adam Silver some credit. Like you mentioned the play in is starting to look super cool this year. And then like you mentioned a little earlier too, the, the tanking really like changing the odds now it's just, fewer teams tanking like there obviously are still so what was it the pistons rockets spurs and uh and hornets the hornets. The hornets i mean i don't even know if the hornets really fall into that um but like those teams are just you know outright tanking but other than that there's no like like obviously you know bulls aren't tanking like the magic aren't necessarily tanking that's really no other team i feel like that i guess the thunder are kind of always on the edge of tanking or not but also any game that Shea plays, they could beat whoever. So it's like those four teams, but I, I don't want to think about them, which is fine. It's only four teams. There's still, what, six, uh, 26 other 
awesome teams. So, uh, yeah, it is the, the tanking stuff has helped. Now we'll see, I guess, like this is a huge draft. So this is like, it's kind of weird that there's not more teams just outright tanking, I guess. But I think those teams that we mentioned are just so bad that like, like you guys couldn't full on tank like that because you have, you know, Levine, DeRozan and Vucevic, like just those three right there are going to keep you out of the very bottom, but yeah. <laughs> it should keep you <laughs> I think the combination of those three, you know, potentially is what could keep you out. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> okay. I think, uh, so speaking of this being a kind of surprising season, just the amount of parity, we'll do two teams, one from each conference that I think are like two of the best stories of the season so far. They both happen to start with the letter K. And we got to obviously start with your uh, your Sacramento squad. So you can just, if you want to take away 37, 26, go for it, start bragging, gloat, whatever you have to do. Yeah, you know, you heard it first on, on the pod. You know, you heard it first. What was that? Some, that, was a, that was a few months ago, you know, so small sample size at the time. They were just now starting to, I think, hit their stride. But, you know, um, Kings have been interesting this season. You know, I feel like a lot of people came in expecting, you know, similar you know, mediocrity that, that you've seen in previous years. But, um, you know, they've been very consistent um, as far as, you know, being able to, to show that on-court chemistry and actually having like a real coach for once, I think, you know, changing the culture. Mike Brown, like he's not in the least consideration um, for, you know, coach of the year, then something's off to me. But um, you just look at, you know, what De'Aaron Fox has been doing. He's been so clutch in the fourth quarter uh, throughout the, the season. I think he's one of the leaders um, as far as, you know, fourth quarter scoring this season. Um, he's been a, you know, net positive on the court on defense as well. Um, averaging 25 a game, you know, that's that's big time. Um, you know, he should have been an all-star all outright. He shouldn't have had to squeeze in at the the end, but you know, hey, he's still an all-star. But yeah, 25 and six, you know, that's solid. Still can work on a three-point shot, but, you know, he's at least getting respectable, which I think has always been one of those knocks on him. Like, it's always been, if he can figure that piece out, then man, you know, other teams are going to be in trouble, but, you know, Fox, um, you know, just looking at a steadying presence, like, um, you know, Sabonis, Sabonis has been so well, been playing so well for them and triple double machine recently, just been distributing out of the post. And, you know, as far as like centers that you can play through, like you got to put him up there. Obviously he's nowhere near Jokic, but you got to put him up there in that top, you know, three to five discussion as far as, you know, the centers you could, you know, potentially run some offense through. Um, and then, yeah, just the, the pieces around for me, that one guy that has made a difference is, is Kevin Herter. Like, I feel like he was a big missing piece for them. You know, just like a straight up like shooter, solid defender, you know, nothing too crazy, but just consistent shooter on volume. Bring Malik Monk off the bench, you know, reunites those two Kentucky guys. Like you've just seen so much chemistry on the floor. Um, you can tell they have that swag. Like that's what's most uh, fun to see is like, you know, that like this team like knows that they can win any game they play. Whereas in previous years, like I swear the past like 10 years, it's always like this cloud over their head where it's like, man, we know we're the Kings. Like we're not supposed to win. <laughs> it's like the first time where it feels like, man, you know, these guys are supposed to win games. So, you know, third seed, like, did I expect that? Like, can't say I did. You know, they're starting to pull away from the pack. I thought, you know, for sure they'd be above the line. Top five was a pretty optimistic, you know, projection for them. But at this point, you got to be looking and saying, you know, hey, if Fox can continue to improve a little bit, Keegan Murray gets better, and all these young guys continue to develop on track, then, you know, who's to say they aren't, like, going to be a lock to be a top-four seed for the next, like, at least three or four years now to have this core together? Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder here, do you think – so right now, as of – so it's March 6th right now, Monday. The Kings are – yeah, third seed, one game back from Memphis, which obviously – Memphis has a bunch of its own issues happening right now. And then two games ahead of Phoenix. So I think it's not even hyperbole to say that. I, I think the Kings are more likely to jump Memphis for this two seed than to fall down any lower than three, honestly. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Is that crazy? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously unfortunate. You know, we maybe touch on that later, the situation going on in Memphis. But, um, you know, it's hard to imagine that they stay where, they, where they're at right now. They've been struggling recently, um, even with their team at full strength. So, um, you know, a team that's 12 and 20 on the road, I think that's chalked up to them being, you know, young as well. Um, not really having too many vets in that locker room. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the standings, they're only one game behind them right now. And you got to, again, expect the Grizzlies to have a subpar close out to the season. 
So, you know, them hitting to the number two seed is realistic. I think the real question is, you know, how many games will the Suns lose to close out the season? You know, the Suns have a real, like, real le- legitimate chance at getting that second seed as well. They're really only three games behind um, Memphis as well, two games behind the Kings. So um, the way they've been looking, I think they have a really strong chance at getting the, the second seed, but it's going to go to either the Suns or Kings at this point from the, from the look of it. Yeah, and who would have who would have guessed that going into the season? The Kings, man. And uh, it is, yeah, I do. I mean, you kind of touched on it, like the swag that they're playing with makes them so fun to watch. And who knows, like once once the playoffs start, like no one really besides, obviously Harrison Barnes and uh, Sabonis are the only two guys who really have playoff experience on that team. So, you know, they could go out like in a very Kings fashion, just kind of a disappointing first round exit. But that swag that you mentioned, it is something that makes me kind of have more hope than I normally would in a Kings team in the playoffs. Like they might just get to the playoffs and be like, who cares? Like, you know, people are trying to, I bet at the end of the season, you're going to see teams trying to maneuver to get, uh, to get matched up against the Kings in the first round. So Mike Brown seems to have, you know, be doing a great job so far this year. Like that's going to be just the easiest bulletin board material ever. So, uh, yeah, Kings are awesome, and I just wish they were this good when I went to uh, Davis because I went to a game at Sleep Train Arena, and <laughs> they got uh, James Harden had like a thirty-something point triple double on them, and it was just they blew up the arena like a couple months later. Not a coincidence, uh, but this would be fun to go to Kings games now. Yeah, and you brought up a really good point there. I'm um, just looking at the standings here. You know, say the playoffs were to start today, you know, and again, you can't really. You can't really project this out yet because the standings are just too jumbled up. But if the playoffs started today, you'd much rather be in that third seed um, than in the second seed because, you know, you're looking at a difference of, again, say say today was the last, you know, day of the league or the, of the season. You know, you have the Mavs in seventh, right? Um, or you have the T-Wolves at six. You know, I'd much rather face a, you know, match up against the T-Wolves on uh, that three to six than, you know, go against, you know, Luca and Kyrie with a chip on their shoulder in the playoffs, um, you know, at the two seven matchup. So um, yeah, like you said, you know, these, these first round matchups could easily lead to some upsets. There's just so many variables here, you know, and these, a lot of these teams like aren't, you, you can't even take their record, um, you know, at face value, right. Cause you know, Mavs are a new team Clippers, you know, they've had a bunch of like moving pieces in their lineup. So have the Warriors, so have the Timberwolves, you know, pretty much everybody has had like some movement except for, the Nuggets and the Kings, really, they're like the only two up there that have had like a pretty consistent lineup and Grizzlies have been that, but you know, now they're starting to have the fluctuations in their lineups. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally like, yeah, Nuggets and Kings are the only teams that have been consistent this whole year in the West. I think about the Pelicans at one point were the one seed looking yeah. solid. Now they're, you know, fighting to even make the play in uh, the, the Suns have the craziest arc, obviously, because they started out super well, uh, and then, you know, fell back down to earth. They were looking pretty rough for a while. Then obviously got Durant and now they're back near the top. So they've had, they've been all over the map. And then, yeah, the T-Wolves now are like doing way better, actually. Like t- for them to, to see them at the sixth seed is a huge surprise. Uh, even, you know, Cat hasn't played in forever, right? Yeah, he hasn't played. I mean, Ants is, you know, looks so good. And then, you know, Nas Reed has actually been like pretty dominant too. You know, he's really stepped up for them. Um, then, they just have like so a bunch of like interesting like defensive weapons on their team as well. Um, but Ants, you know, definitely has played a lot better than I thought he would be playing. Um, but yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to um, uh, Jaden McDaniel's too. He's like a really solid defender. Um, he's done a lot, I think, to positively impact their team. Yeah, yeah, and I think also the fact that those two teams we mentioned, Kings and Nuggets. Those are the only two teams in the entire Western Conference who have above a 500 record on the road. And the Nuggets are only one game above 500 as of now. The Kings are 18 and 13. So I don't know what that means for maybe that kind of does touch on like that swag you were talking about. Like the Kings aren't scared to to go into someone else's arena and win. Or maybe it's like they're like, thank God we get to leave Sacramento and be in a different city. I don't know one of the two, but it, it might mean something. Yeah, I know it's it's definitely interesting. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really good observation there, um, especially for a team that you know I, 
they, you know, they have a few veterans, but they're still a pretty, you know, young and new team. So to see them being able to go on the road and compete like that should bode well in the playoffs too. Cause you know, obviously in the playoffs it's all about, can you, can you steal one on the road? Um, mm-hmm. And obviously they have home court advantage um, at least in the first round. So, you know, if you got those two things going for you, you know, you're in a pretty solid position no matter how you look at it. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, man. Um, again, the Kings making a deep run in the playoffs. Who thought we'd be saying that? <laughs> Seriously, light the beam in the playoffs. That would be great. Um, okay, so then the other team, kind of similar storyline, just the exact opposite as far as like market and popularity. Uh, the Knicks, they're so they actually have a slightly better record than the Kings if you just go by win percentage. They're thirty nine and twenty seven, um, but they are the five seed right now, one game back from Cleveland, who hasn't looked great recently um and i mean if we're going back to the the away records being like an indicator of something you know something like extra an edge that you might have the knicks actually have the best uh second best away record in the entire league uh they're 20 and 12 which is crazy because you think like the garden is obviously you know home court advantage but uh yeah that's uh, that's actually interesting i didn't realize the knicks were that good on the road but what do you so what do you think about the Knicks? Like, are they to you? Are they like that team they were a couple years ago, where they made the play in and were like a fun story, and then Trey Young just just did them dirty and got them out in the first round? Or do you see them as like actually? Well, maybe they you know could win a first round series, and who knows about in the second round? Yeah, I mean the Knicks have been a surprise for sure. I mean going into the season, I kind of had the Bulls and the Knicks right around the same you know like place as far as power rankings go. And if anything, I was like we might edge them out. But um, I think it has to do with just you know being very well coached and, and disciplined. You know, typically Tibbs teams are you know defensive juggernauts and struggle on offense. But it's been the opposite for them. They've thrived on offense and been solid on defense, which is still a you know recipe for success. And what's scary about them is tips can get them to turn it up in the playoffs. I've seen it as a Bulls fan, as a, as a you know, defensive team goes. And we saw it again, like, literally yesterday against the Celtics. You know, there are certain times when they can, you know, amp up the pressure, even when they don't have the best defenders on the floor. I think tips can really just maximize, you know, what he gets out of his players. And they're going a nine-game win streak. They've completely turned their season around. You know, they were literally just 30 and 27. And now they're literally fighting and pushing their way up the standings. And to your point – you know, they're right there with the Cavaliers. And I, if I had to take a, a team right now at that four to five matchup, I'd go with the Knicks over the Cavs, to be honest with you. Um, I think that, you know, it's a tough matchup for sure. But if Brunson is fully healthy, you know, I think they have a really good chance. And you can't um, understate what they've done um, as far as picking up Josh Hart. Like, he's been so good for them. Um, he's just been like, killing. He's completely turned this season around for them in my eyes. Like, they've been undefeated since they picked him up. If you look at his plus minus, he's a he's like a positive 12. Like he's way he's like head and shoulders above the rest of their team as far as like impact on the court. Um, but yeah, Brunson and Randall, I think, you know, Brunson unlocks Randall's game, makes things a lot easier for him, makes him, you know, more of an effective player. Quickly has been so nice off the bench. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson, finally healthy. Grimes, I love him. He's a really good defender. Um, you know, I've <laughs> I have my qualms about RJ Barrett, but you know, he just kind of fills a role on that team. Um, hopefully he can get better. Like if that guy can improve, I think the ceiling on this team goes way up. So I think there's a lot of pressure on him to figure it out. You know, I think he just needs to take one more jump. Not don't need anything crazy from him, but just you know, better efficiency. Again, he could be better on defense. He's got to be able to hit an open shot consistently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just you were kind of running down. The Knicks roster right there. So here, so I actually pulled it up. All right, I'm just going to just name Knicks players, right? You've already named most of them. But so Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, Quickly, Hart, Grimes, Mitchell Robinson. And I would even throw in uh, Hartenstein. Like that's eight. Well, I didn't even include uh, Cam Reddish because I actually don't think he belongs in this group. But that's eight dudes who are all like, you would feel comfortable with any of them playing uh, in a playoff series. Like, you know, they all at least at the very minimum are going to play hard, right? Especially when you get lower, like Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson and Grimes. Like that's one thing you don't have to worry about any of them is playing hard. And obviously what coach is that's like his favorite type of player. Uh, And then you have enough offense with Randall Brunson and Barrett where like, you know, you'll get enough points from those guys. And, you know, if one of them has an off night in the playoffs quickly could step up 
uh, Hart can, you know, have a, like there's enough guys who could chip in a little more than normal to kind of make up for if one of their main three has an off game. And then I think the, the brunt, uh, yeah, Barrett piece is a huge one. We're like, he's having his, you know, numbers are solid 20 a game, five boards, three assists, not great percentage of shooting only 33 from three, but he, you know, number three pick in the draft, like high pedigree guy, you know, if there's a, a chance for him to make that next leap that you're talking about, it would be the playoffs, you know, in a, a home uh, game seven at MSG or something against the Cavs or whoever they end up playing in the first round. Like that would be the stage for him. And uh, they're just fun to watch. I think that's the main thing. Like no one wants to play the Knicks in the playoffs when they just have all these these guys who play hard because those are the most annoying guys to play against. <laughs> yeah, and no, I can see it now, man. I mean, just call it, you know, call it early. You know, 60 at MSG, game seven in the playoffs, R.J. Barry. <laughs> You never know, right? He's the maple. Is he maple mamba or is that? Yeah, maple mamba. <laughs> There's too many good Canadian players. I don't I don't like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, the tips factor is is a huge thing because, you know, obviously there's uh, he has his there's the knocks you can make on him. But also I'm looking at the minutes per game for uh, for the Knicks guys. There's it's nothing that crazy. Like Randall's number one at 36 a game, which is it's high but he's also 27 i don't think he has like a crazy history of injuries right uh brunson kind of right yeah and yeah randall's only really been injured i feel like that first year when he was on the lakers he Mm -hmm. broke his leg like right away but um other than that i feel like he's been pretty like durable and reliable so yeah Yeah. that's a good point and you know tibbs will like obviously take the minutes up some Mm -hmm. in the playoffs like he'll tighten up his rotation but you know, quickly has very much proven that he deserves like 25 plus minutes a game. And, um, you know, Josh Hart obviously is going to be in that game. Um, Grimes will get his minutes. So, yeah, like I think he trusts his players. You can see like which guys he's rolling with now. Um, and certain guys are falling out of the rotation as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, D Rose, but also you could, the, how cool would that be? Like if Barrett is having his 60 point game seven and then, you know, the only reason they got to game seven, though, was because in game six, they were down bad. The starters were playing terrible. And D Rose came in and scored like 10 points in three minutes. Yeah, man. I mean, he's still capable. Um, I think he's serving as a veteran right now, which is probably great. He's probably just an extension of Tibbs because um, those two know each other so well. So um, apparently his impact from what I've heard in quotes is greater as a mentor than it was on the player uh, on the court as a player. So. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he takes a minimum deal and turns into Udonis Haslam. <laughs> Did you see that uh, that video from maybe the past week or so when the Knicks were blowing somebody out and the crowd started, you know, doing like a "We Want D Rose" chant? Oh and yeah, and they checked the players were so hyped when he actually like got up and checked into the game. I feel like that's that doesn't mean nothing, you know. I mean, I think he's a good like an intermediary almost between Tibbs and the players because obviously, like we mentioned, Tibbs can, you know, people can get tired of him basically if he's just yelling at you nonstop. Um, so I think D Rose is probably a good kind of like in between, right? Like an assistant coach almost where like the players could talk to him about what they are getting annoyed of from Tibbs. And then D Rose can kind of tell Tibbs that and vice versa. He could tell the players like, yeah, it's annoying, but also like I'm still D Rose telling you this, like that it worked for me on the bulls. Like you guys all grew up idolizing me. So <laughs> they're probably going to listen to him. So that's actually cool. That's a good uh, like underrated thing that could come into play in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, that moment gave me goosebumps. I love to see it. Uh, obviously, you know, it's hard to see him not play at all, but to know he has that kind of impact and he's still, you know, having it in the league at this point. When you look at some other guys that are starting to age out or you know, other guys that, you know, are, you know, starting to show their 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 age, um, it's good to see him still having an impact, even if it isn't on the floor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I wonder, this is like, I actually hadn't thought about this before, and I don't know, this is just a – the first time I'm thinking about it, like him and uh, D Rose, his career and Westbrook's career, they're really similar kind of just, you know, obviously freak athlete point guards at their peak. But think about how different their careers have been since all of their their different injuries. Right. Like Westbrook is still just trying to, uh, you know, still trying to be like a, ho- a high volume guy. And D Rose has kind of taken the backseat and like he still has his his games where he'll go off. Not recently, but, you know, a few years ago. I don't know. Is it is that like something? Does that even make sense? Is that a thing? Like they kind of just approached it, their roles going forward differently, maybe? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, 
just yeah being honest you know as a, as a d rose fan like i obviously i hate to say it but um you know i rose's peak was definitely higher you know early on oh, actually, sure. uh, yeah i'm taking prime prime rose over prime rest for sure yeah yeah and at the end of the day i mean um rose was just robbed of that like you know um next level productivity um and it was very clear when he came back after that injury and was playing for the knicks that you know he wasn't going to be that same player anymore and that was okay you know he carved out a different role that made sense for him i think westbrook you know his peak obviously has lasted longer um and i think a lot of it was masked just by like such a high usage rate um when he was on the thunder in his last years um and then now that he started to bounce around you can really start to see a lot of the flaws in his game right and he's at that point where he really needs to redefine himself redefine that role for himself if he wants to continue to play otherwise he's just going to be like a net negative on the team um but yeah I mean at the end of the day Rose like I think for him a lot of it was mental like he just didn't quite trust himself coming back especially after that second injury Mm -hmm. whereas Westbrook you know he came back and he just like was right back to himself and granted he tore his meniscus his like first big injury whereas Rose had an ACL which is you know, a lot different on a non-contact injury, whereas Beverly ran into Westbrook when he tore his meniscus. So I feel like it's, you know, it's hard to compare those apples to apples. But, um, yeah, Rose, I think, has just embraced his role, like, everywhere he's gone, whereas Westbrook, I think he's just trying to, like, find himself um, on the court. Mm-hmm. He has that, like, his attitude is that nothing's changed, like I'm still the same guy. Um, so I, I guess that, that translates into, like, numbers-wise, but I do feel like there's a reason why – I mean, Westbrook is on the Clippers, but, you know, he was really on the Lakers this year, which is not a great team win-loss-wise. And uh, D. Rose is on a team that's out outperforming, I think, what everyone expected, even though he's not playing the minutes that Russ is. I feel like, yeah, his impact is it's just like a different impact compared to just like raw numbers, basically. Um, yeah, I think at, at this point, like, it's just clear in order for Westbrook to be effective, like, at least with his current game, he has to be like one of those heliocentric players where like everything is like coming from him. Like, you know, he has to dominate the ball. Um, he needs to get his touches. Like he can't be an off the ball player. He's just going to be out of rhythm. He's not going to be able to hit open shots. Like he just, that's just, that's just not his game, you know, and that's yeah. okay. So okay. yeah. like, um, you know, maybe he's a six man where he can have that same like heliocentric feel and then, you know, go back to the bench or he belongs on a team, you know, that doesn't really have that many, weapons right or somebody that you know team that just needs to be spoon fed like he worked on the wizards like fairly well he took them to the playoffs you know and pushed him in um he worked on the rockets to an extent <laughs> um and there's some teams he work on like if he went to the hornets right now he'd be killing dude he'd be killing like oh, right now Mello? Mello? Yeah. yeah he'd be killing you know he'd take over that team um and you know of course they wouldn't make the playoffs just late in the game but like he would give the fans something to watch for sure, if he's on that team. But on the Clippers, like, no, PG and Kawhi need to be the ones that dominate the ball. Terrence Mann, like we talked about, probably is better suited in that lineup with them than, you know, Westbrook is. Like, just doesn't, like, play to his strengths at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. So, like, when, you know, when when the Westbrook to the Clippers move happened, I think the people who who liked that move, what they would say was, uh, you know, oh, well, he'll have a bunch of space because – Kawhi and PG are out there with him and there's a bunch of other shooters but I feel like that's the wrong way to look at it because if you're looking at it like that as a positive that means Westbrook having the ball and not PG or Kawhi that's kind of like what you're thinking of but if if you're taking the ball out of those guys hands that's not ideal and now if you give them the ball there's less space because Westbrook is just again his guy will double team and he'll just stand there spot up and most likely break a jumper so yeah I just I don't know I don't know why they did that move. Like, it's not his fault that they're that they had lost what five games in a row when they signed him. But I just didn't really understand it because they already had a super deep team with like the two stars and a, a bunch of role players. So I just don't understand adding another super high usage guy to that mix. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think at some point there's going to be some flippage or change in role for him. Um, you know, might maybe similar to what uh, Darvin Ham did. You know, maybe it's like you come off the bench or they like stagger lineups. Maybe Westbrook comes off the court sooner or something and they stagger minutes somewhere else. But, yeah, I think for them, a lot of it's going to be rotations for sure. I think they got to figure out their rotations. Right now, I don't think they make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why the, they're one of the hardest teams to 
this is like transition into our West playoffs matchups, but they're the Clippers, are like one of the hardest teams to predict in the playoffs. Cause I feel like they have the, maybe the widest range of, of outcomes because like we mentioned, they don't really make sense with Russ. They're one in five with him and their one win was like a crazy comeback against the Grizzlies without John Morant, no Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. Uh, and they still gave up like 130 almost to them. Um, but then at the same time, it's like we've seen Kawhi when he's healthy in the playoffs. And he's one of the scary, like he might, you know, when he's on like that one game against the Mavs in the playoffs a couple years ago, he he's one of those guys that can play at a level that is better than anyone else. If, you know, just for a game or two, like it's, it's, it's a problem. You don't want to see him in the playoffs basically. Oh, definitely not. I mean, he could still turn it up. Um, I think the biggest question from him is just going to be, you know, availability, you know, is he going to, obviously in the playoffs, like I'm sure a lot of the, load management will be an issue because you don't really have back-to-back games like that anyway. Um, so you should make him, you know, he should be available as long as he can stay healthy. But at the end of the day, when you look at this team, it just comes down to like looking at that games play column, you know, like the number of games he's got to play. Like, you know, Kawhi, he's played 39 games. PG's played 50, which surprises me. I didn't think he played that many. Um, I Obviously, he just picked up Aaron Gordon. Covington has been injured a lot. Um, you know, Plumlee, you just picked him up. Westbrook, you just picked him up. Man has probably been like the most consistent player throughout the season, but they've just had so much turnover throughout the year and like change in lineups. Um, like I, I don't have lineup data in front of me, but I bet you uh, they're probably like, if not in the top, you know, you know, three, maybe at least in the top five to 10, as far as like number of like unique lineups that they've had to start um, for the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's just, I feel like that's been a thing with them for all three or four years it is now that Kawhi and PG have been there. And I'm sure like Ty Lue's a really good coach, but I'm sure even he kind of gets sick of like, damn, can I just have the same starting five? Like, you know, and like in the regular season, he doesn't get to enjoy that luxury. And then in the playoffs, I guess it's the Clippers are just saying like chemistry is less important than uh, I guess health or availability, which when you kind of, when you say it out loud like that, it's not, the worst take but also it is risky because you could just have terrible chemistry even if all your guys are out there if they don't know how to play together i don't know how much is that worth yeah it's interesting like one theme we're starting to see is like and i almost kind of see it as like a little toxic in the league is you know the regular season doesn't really matter like that it doesn't matter what seed we are in the standings but as long as we're in there we had a chance at competing right i feel like everybody so it's been saying about the Lakers like the past like three to four years. Just like, oh, if LeBron makes the playoffs, it doesn't matter what seed you are, you got a chance, right? If you got Kawhi on your team and you're in the playoffs, no matter what seed you are, you know, you got a chance. You got KD on your team. It's like the same narrative, right? And, you know, is that really the case? Do you really want to have, you know, the disadvantage not having home court throughout the entire playoffs and really hedge and bet everything on these guys that have missed a ton of games in the in the playoffs. Like, sure, they might make it through, you know, playing games, but what if they get banged up along the way? They haven't been playing through injuries throughout the season, so I imagine playing through injuries in the playoffs might even be worse because you haven't been playing through injuries in the, in the regular season. But, yeah, who knows? Like, maybe there are things we don't know about going on. Like, PG, apparently in an interview – said that it isn't them wanting to sit out. It's like the team making them sit out certain games, right? And, and trying to protect them and protect their assets. Um, and they're saying, oh, we want to be out there. We want to play. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll just fully be unleashed in the playoffs and it'll be a completely different team, to your point. And Ty Lue figures out the rotations, cuts, you know, certain guys out that don't make sense, maybe Westbrook, and they go on a deep run. Who knows? Yeah, and I think actually that's funny that you brought up the the Paul George interview because I was going to bring up something else from that interview where he was saying, actually, it's a good point. There's like, there's such thing as too much rest. Like he was saying it's harder to get a rhythm when you're playing a game and then sitting out a game and then playing a game, sitting out a game. Just because the schedule, it's not always the same. It's not like you play one day, sit out the next day, play the next day. It just, you know, it's a, sometimes you might sit out one game and then you don't have another game for two or three more days. So I, that, and that might just be for him, but I wonder how many other players feel that way where it's like it is harder to get a rhythm when you aren't playing every game um, and you have to sit out a bunch. So I don't know. I would think that if the players wanted to play, I think they would have the final say. So I don't know. Maybe the Clippers do it differently. I don't know. Maybe it's Kawhi's choice. Maybe Kawhi is saying like, no, PG's not playing tonight. 
<laughs> Wouldn't you think like with how much player empowerment there is and everything, like players can just demand a trade two months after signing like a six-year extension. I would think that if they said they wanted to play, the teams would have to let them. Yeah, I, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, Kawhi is such a mystery, so you can never truly know like what that guy is thinking. Like, I'm sure he's probably looking over like Sida and Westbrook. Like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's a good point you brought up as well from that interview. You got to think like Kawhi PG. They've been in the league for what, like ten to twelve years now. Thirteen, twelve seasons. I forget for those two, but they're you know well traveled, been in the league for a while. Um, so your body is probably so used to that, you know, that, that load that you've been taking on. And to your point, if you mix start mixing it up this late in your career, it's got to throw you off or it might, you know, lead you to tweak something that you otherwise might not have tweaked. Right. Um, and who knows like what's going on in the background practices as well. Like, are they taking off from those? Are they still participating in practice? And there's a lot of like things that we as uh, fans don't really get to, to fully see, um, but it's clear that, you know, if a guy misses time in the offseason to prepare, it's going to take him some time to to ramp up. Kawhi took him a little while to ramp up. Feels like he's finally, you know, kind of himself. But I'd still say he's not 100 percent. Like some games he he doesn't quite look like himself. And then there are other games where he's, you know, still looking as dominant. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you still get the feeling that if those two put their mind to it, they can go and get a win. Like they just proved that last night. I think they combined for like, 70 plus points between the two of them yeah and pg went off too which is that's that's always a welcome sight to see him be aggressive and have a huge i think he had like 43 himself or something like that um but yeah Kawhi has been playing a lot better recently and again i feel like that's just giving people a glimpse of like oh wait yeah this dude when he's healthy and locked in like he's one of the hardest dudes to guard um okay i think here we could end with if you just look at the West standings um, and just pick, what would you pick? Like one uh, potential first round matchup, like what would be your favorite one? That's like realistic, which honestly there's still like teams can move so much. That I feel like you have a lot to, a lot of options to play with here. Mm, yeah, this is a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Cause like you said, teams can move a lot here. So um, really anything is, is on the table. Well, you know, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Suns Mavericks matchup, um, just based on what we just saw um, mm-hmm. this past weekend. Now, the forces could make this work out when you look at the standings, right? You got to think the Mavs, the way they've been playing. I don't know how much more they're going to move up the standings. Like, I'm not like super bullish on it. I feel like they're going to be at six or seven. Um, now, they might prove me wrong, but their defense just leaves so much to be desired. And then the Suns, like we said before, are probably going to move up to that two or three spot. And same thing with them. Like, I feel like their defense leaves a bit to be desired. You know, Kogi's like the one guy that I feel like can like really lock down in their starting lineup. Um, so, you know, that would be two teams that are just straight up offensive, like powerhouses with like, you know, poor defense. So it'll be like, who's going to lock down in the playoffs? You got like the Booker, Luca, mm-hmm. Beef going on, Kyrie, KD. Like that would just be an interesting first round matchup. Of course, I give the edge to the Suns just because they got KD. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that would be a fun one uh, to, to watch. Um, and, again, it will have a bunch of storylines, so they'd probably really be able to promote that one. Yeah. But, that was uh, that was my number one pick for sure also, just because of if that game was any preview. Like, I definitely think the Suns would have to be favored just because they have, you know, obviously more better players and just, yeah, KD's the best guy on the floor there. But – also, the fact that Chris Paul is such a liability on defense at this point that it's just going to be Luca and uh, Kyrie just taking turns, getting him switched onto them, and like I don't know, this playoffs is going to be a weird one for for Chris Paul because he's his numbers have been super down this year. Uh, he's just looked old, and then I feel like he's going to almost have to turn into Jason Kidd with the Mavs when they won that championship, like way sooner than he thought. But he just might have to be like a spot up shooter because you saw in that Mavs Suns game the other day they were just leaving him open and he was hitting the shots that day but like he's gonna have to do that all whatever seven games however long that series goes yeah big question for him is can he stay healthy I mean it's like every playoff run or right before it it seems like he tweaks something a hamstring or some like soft tissue injury that just like throws him off but if he can stay healthy I think he can raise his level of play like a little bit 
Um, and for me, it's going to be, you know, yeah, can can he be that spot-up shooter? He's got to be able to hit open shots, continue to facilitate. When things are going, you know, awry, like can he calm the guys down and still run a set, be that leader on the floor? And biggest thing for me is can he keep DeAndre Ayton, like, engaged? Like that guy, like he's too good to just be like a fourth fiddle. Like he can't be the fourth fiddle. He should at least be the third fiddle. Um, you know, and if I'm Chris Paul, like, I'm going to take it like personally to like make sure this guy's engaged because he's getting buckets he's going to be more engaged on defense as well. And you're going to need that if you're the Suns. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's going to be huge because he's a guy that normally teams would try and get Luca or Kyrie switched onto the center. But Aiden is one of those rare big guys who only when he's locked in, he can like move his feet with, you know, with guards. Um, and again, the, the Mavs don't have much of a center rotation. So he actually should dominate as well. Just off of all the open shots that he should get from those other two guys or three guys actually. Um, and it is interesting. The, the, uh, obviously the KD additions, like that's an awesome trade. You add KD whenever you can. Um, but now the fact that Chris Paul does get hurt every playoffs, it seems, even if he got hurt, like, I don't know, like you still have Booker, KD, and Aiton. And like, obviously, then the rest of your roster is like, you're, yeah, relying way too much on a Kogi. Uh, was it Ish Wainwright was the guy who, yeah, bro, Ish Wainwright is. He's yeah, he, he was four for five from three against the Mavs. Uh, that was his only stats was 12 points on four threes, three personal fouls, nothing else. No turnovers, blocks, steals, assists, rebounds, nothing. Uh, forcing, man. <laughs> I think he's he's the guy. Is he the guy who used to – he played college football? He did, yep. That's yep. insane. Yeah. 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 But that's not – I guess that's not great if we're talking about getting, like, deep, deep into the playoffs. If we're talking about, like, your fourth or fifth option, if Chris Paul goes down as, like – yeah, this guy was like a tight end, uh, <laughs> and now he's a three-point shooter. <laughs> I feel like those two don't really go together usually, but yeah, the yeah, Suns are. Yeah, and you can't undersell the value of uh, the campaign too. Like he's like sneaky good for them. Um, you know, he's come a long way in his career. Obviously, like he was a guy that you know was overseas. Like didn't look like he was going to be back in the league um, again. He's battled some injuries this year, sure, but. He's proven that he can be a leader, um, a guy who can bring, the, you know, a different level of, um, you know, pace when he comes off the bench. Um, and he's just, so, he's just solid. You know, he can be aggressive. He gives you a different look than when you have Chris Paul. I think he's a guy where, you know, if CP's having an off game, he can just give you a different look. Um, you know, again, not relying on this guy, but, you know, you need those kinds of guys to bring like a nice punch off the bench. So I think he could, you know, honestly like equal Chris Paul's like offensive production off the bench um, again you're talking Chris Paul is averaging like 10 to 12 points right like he could easily do that as well off the bench yeah and actually that's funny um so that's what I thought of when uh who was it the buck signed Drogic who I didn't realize you guys had did you guys buy him out or he's waved him okay yeah um <laughs> I'm kind of surprised actually with his history with the Suns like that's where he first kind of took off as Steve Nash's backup I would have been trying to sign him if I were the Suns because campaign was, he was awesome for them in their, that one finals run a couple years ago. And then since then he has been like a little less reliable, but yeah, again, if Chris Paul goes down, which is, you know, realistic enough that I feel like you have to plan for it. If you're the Suns, you could kind of piece together campaign and Drogic like to take over those minutes. I feel like. Yeah. The, I think the biggest you know, issue with them picking up Dragic would have just been that Dragic is like a complete traffic coming on defense at this mm -hmm. point in his career as well. So, you know, him and Paul like getting like destroyed at the point of attack could be tough on them. Not to say campaign is, you know, that much better of a defender, but he at least has some youth on his side. Right. Um, whereas I think, you know, Dragic can bring some, a different presence. He just brings a different kind of field of the Bucks. They don't really have a player like him per se uh, coming off the bench. I think they have like, you know, Javon Carter, you know, solid, you know, three and D kind of archetype player at the point guard. And then they have, you know, Grayson Allen, Connaughton, you know, on the wings guard position. But Drogic should bring like a level of like creativity that they don't have coming off the bench and the lead guards. And I think they can cover up his defensive weaknesses well enough that he'll fit in pretty well if he even gets, you know, playing time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Cause, you know, George Hill had a, a role for the Bucks when they were. Uh, when they won the finals a couple years ago. And I think even at this point, Drogic is at least that, if not a little better. I mean, I think, was it last year in the playoffs? Drogic had a couple moments with the Nets when he was like actually kind of stepping up for them. Um, was that, I don't know if that was last year or the year before, but I feel like he has something left in the tank, not in the regular season. I mean, 
I'm sure you saw enough of that, but in the playoffs when it's just, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes here or there, like every other game, I feel like he's still, he's just too smart. Like, you know, he's too crafty of a player. I feel like. Yeah. He's gifted offensively. Like he's, he's really nice to watch. Um, you could, he still has a lot of that in his game, like for sure. Um, like if you need to, if you just needed somebody to, to like control the offense, you know, for a five minute stretch, like he could still do that easily and get, you know, some buckets while he's at it, can hit open shots. Um, still a solid passer. Again, his main like thing is just going to be on defense, but if you're the Bucks, you can hide that. So it's all good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think on that note, the Suns would be like, who cares if he's bad on defense? Like we're just going to outscore anyone anyways. So <laughs> they might just be going for that. I feel like there will be certain games in the playoffs where the Suns are just like, all right, well, we can't stop these people. Let's just outscore them. And that'll work when you have KD and Booker as your top two options. Um, okay. I yeah. Think- I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I would say, I'll, I guess I'll uh, ask you this last question. And um, as far as like offensive duos go, are you, you're taking, you're taking KD and Book, right? Like you're not, you're not taking anyone else over them, right? I mean, there's some, some good duos out there. I mean, Mavs have a great scoring duo, obviously, Celtics do, but, you know, when you look at those two, though, I just feel like, man, I mean, Booker is, you know, he's developed into, you know, arguably like one of the best three-level scorers in the league. And KD is like the best scorer in the league, I think, you know, still at this point. He's so efficient. But those two together is kind of like unfair, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think the only one that really even has a – that you can make an argument for – well, I guess you're saying if it's just offense. Yeah. I was going to say Tatum and Brown, but – no, yeah, if it's just offense, I think, yeah, Booker and KD, is, it has to be number one just because, like, Kawhi and Paul George in theory, but I just don't – I still don't see that. Uh, yeah, LeBron and AD, I mean, I don't, that's that's too hypothetical. I can't even <laughs> imagine that. Uh, and then, yeah, Jokic just doesn't have a number two at this point. Like, Murray's cool, but, yeah, Booker and KD, I feel like you could make arguments that they're both top ten – and I don't think you can with any other, any other duo, unless you wanted to do like Fox and and Sabonis. But I mean, <laughs> it's close. I don't know, man. KD is just uh, he's just different. Um, I'm sure like everybody out there can just appreciate um, just watching him. You know, um, like obviously he's like 34 now, going to be 35 soon. But man, he's just he's still KD. Um, you know and you look at the trade for him. Mikael Bridges is playing super well. He looks like KD Light out there for sure, but it's not KD though, you know. Um, like he's just such a such a special player. So I'm really looking forward to watching them, you know, have a deep postseason run. I hope hope he can, you know, at least make it to the the conference uh, championships or conference finals. That should be interesting to to see. Yeah, I feel like they will. I mean, KD does just in the playoffs again. He is kind of like which I don't know why we forget about maybe just because there's always some other like drama going on with him, but he's a guy, if he's healthy in the playoffs, we were talking about Kawhi being unstoppable. KD is the exact same, if not even, I don't say like a full level ahead, but he's still seven feet tall. So yeah. And we've seen him do it before on a bunch of different teams. He's, I think we were talking about that, uh, like on text that he's just like the way that he fits in with any team is pretty cool. Like that does have to be, factored into his his legacy at the end of the day like lebron every time he goes to a new team it's always rough at first right they're like 12 and 13 after the first 25 games and everyone's like freaking out and lebron's like it's fine just relax and it's because it takes a lot to get used to playing with him but kd just goes into a system and it's like oh if i'm open i shoot it and i'm one of the best shooters ever so it's probably gonna go in if i'm not open if i get double teamed which happens a lot because i'm really good i'll make the right pass like He's just, yeah, he can just play with any team from day one, which we've seen. Yeah, he just makes the game, like, so simple. Like, all of his reads are just, like, seem to be spot on. Like, when I when I look at a machine out there, like, a lot of people say Kawhi is like a machine, but just watching him play, it's like he has no wasted movements or efforts, and, like, every pass is, like, the right read. Like, you, you'll rarely see him, like, just, you know, misread a situation. And, yeah, like, just being able to come in, like, miss time, step right onto a new team and fit in and just – it makes so much sense, you know, because he can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. He can really do anything you need him to do. Um, it's really just like how much does he want to assert himself? That's what I feel like he's trying to figure out right now. It's like, what do I need to do to, like, make this team better, make this team win? 
He's like, all right, I see Booker. He can get 35, 36 easy. So I'm going I'm to let, let him ride. I'm going to let him cook. See, Paul, you know, he needs the ball in his hands. You know, he's running the offense. But, like, where can I get in and get mine? Um, yeah, it's cool, man. It's a luxury. Like, any team, I think, improves significantly if they can add a player like that. Mm-hmm. I do think – I'm actually really excited for – I'm not a Suns fan. I, they're just annoying from, like, their past couple of years, uh, especially their playoff series against the Lakers. But I'm excited to watch them this year because it does kind of remind you of a little later – in their career then this happened but like when lebron went back to cleveland to team up with kyrie mm. uh, you know where kyrie's like a young up-and-coming superstar who hadn't won on his own before where booker hadn't won on his own he you know started winning when cp went there so it's got kind of a little not like apples to apples but now you know those two guys are teaming up and i feel like we will see remember that was it 2018 or 19 finals when lebron and kyrie were like you know, there were games where they would both score 40 or like, 40, yeah. I could totally see that happening a couple times in this playoffs. Like there's going to be a couple games where Booker and Durant are just both on in the same game and like playing off each other. And it's going to be crazy to watch, like just ridiculous offense and ridiculous shot making. And with Chris Paul setting them up, that's, I'm talking myself into the Suns now. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's going to be crazy. Like there's going to be some wild stat lines in yeah, the defense, you know, it's not going to be, there's not going to be much there. Um, it's going to be hard. At least hard to like imagine them holding many teams to under hundred points, but to your point earlier, it's going to be like how much, how many points can we put on the board to like make sure that the other team doesn't outscore us. They know? just have to, honestly, they just have to hold people to under 115. Cause what teams are going to hold the Suns under 115 realistically, you know? Yeah. I mean, so you got to think like on any given night, like 70 is like the, the floor. If those two guys are on <laughs> between the two of them. It really is. It's scary. Um, but all right. I think that's a good place to end it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the ball to you fall podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please like rate, subscribe, follow, download all the above. Uh, we're honestly, we're going to keep releasing episodes, even if you guys don't do any of the above, but It'll just make us feel better about ourselves if we see that people are listening and, you know, downloading and basically just enjoying the episodes. So be a nice person today. Uh, Please spread the word. Uh, The world needs more nice people out there. So just search Ball Till You Fall podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or basically just anywhere that you listen to podcasts out there. Again, we really appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next episode.